Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning, North Sound family. So good to see you all this morning. Thank you for joining us for worship today. We have... um, we have some, a very special thing to do that I'm excited about. Uh, we are going to, in just a moment, dedicate a couple of cousins to the Lord and uh, welcome their families here with us today. Before we do that, we have another little one to welcome to the family. Laura, where are you? There you are, Laura and Nate. Would Laura and Nate, we have this rose here for you guys. Um, this is a practice, by the way, those of you that your parents or grandparents, we, we realized we had stopped this practice and we we're just re-beginning the practice of welcoming new little ones with a rose. And uh, we have today Ileana Joy Billing, who is with us. Would you stand so everybody can see this cute little one? Yeah. They, uh, these guys have those two cute little girls, Emma and Amy, the little blondies that kind of run around the, the church, and uh, they, are, uh, they are cuties. So welcome, Ileana, and congratulations, Dad and Mom. And I am going to ask at this time for Samson and August to bring their daddies and mommies um, to come forward and uh, to join us up here. It is a a wonderful opportunity and follows along with what the Lord tells us to do in terms of the dedication of our children to him. You may recall that Jesus um, was being uh, apparently to his disciples being disturbed by children and uh, Jesus pointed out that uh, we need to be like children in entering the kingdom of God. So um, that um, that is pretty exciting. And uh, look at these guys in, are those, are those husky colors? Is... Vintage. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, this is, is a wonderful time to be able to, uh, to do this together. And I'm going to ask you all to stand with me because we are largely dedicating the parents, not just uh, the children in this moment. And so... Um, it is a privilege to have uh, Alex and Hillary uh, and Haley and Joe and their precious children. And uh, this, is, uh, this is amazing. You guys make boys like, like I make boys, too. Uh, it seems to run in the family, huh? Yeah? So uh, in Psalm 78, verses 5 and 7, we read, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded the fathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their hope in God and would not forget his works, but keep his commandments. And so this is your part, dad and mom, and dad and mom, and then it will be your part in just a moment. So parents, will you commit to trust God's promises made to you and your son in his word? Yes. (laughs) Thank you. You'll be a little quicker on the next one, I I expect. Yeah. Will you commit to seek God and seek gospel change in the way you live and parent your son? Will you commit to discipline your son and show him grace? 
Will you commit to teach God's word to him and live out the gospel in your home? Will you commit to pray for him and teach him to pray? Will you commit to partner with this church community, seek their help and accountability, and lead your son to do the same? Great. Thank you. Okay. And now, North Sound Church, you are standing. This is your part. And uh, I'm going to make it easy on you instead of all of the yeses. We're going to do one at the end, okay? Because I don't trust you to get it right, okay? <laughs> so here we go. North Sound Church, will you commit to seek God and seek gospel change in the way you live before these children? Will you commit to pray for these children that they will grow to love Jesus and trust in him? Will you commit to teach them the gospel through both your words and your example? Will you commit to partner with these parents, holding them accountable and confronting their sin? Will you commit to pray for them and encourage them as they face this trial, the trials of parenting? And would you join me uh, with the words on the screen? With joy and thanksgiving, as Christ Church, with God's help, we promise to love encourage and support you as you follow Christ and support your your son in the faith. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for these wonderful boys, cousins that we have the privilege of praying for this morning and dedicating to you. Lord, we thank you that you have told us that we need to come to you like children in a simple faith, And I pray, Lord, for these young men, for each of them, Lord, that they would commit their way to you from an early age when they understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Guide Alex and Hillary and Joe and Haley in the task of parenting. May they, Lord, have power and wisdom beyond their own to raise these boys to understand your kingdom and their place in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We have a gift for you for August and for Samson. There we go. God bless you. You may be seated. I got to tell you, that is so much fun. Thank you, Joe and Haley and Alex and Hillary, for allowing us to do that this morning. We kind of got decimated with our younger families over COVID. We were growing in that area prior to COVID. And during the time of COVID, for a whole variety of reasons, um, just lots of changes, um, things changed. And so it's wonderful both to welcome Eliana and to welcome August and Samson. And uh, we anticipate news soon about the recruitment of a family life uh, and children's pastor for North Sound, which we'll be giving very special and dedicated attention in the days ahead. Advent services are coming up next Sunday. Isn't it amazing how fast they come? I told the folks in the first service that although it's a little bit of a, maybe a coarse illustration, um, someone said that aging is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. And it just seems like we were, we were getting ready to celebrate Christmas last year, and here we are again. So next Sunday, we start Advent shorter sermons. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. And more music, right? 
Amen, more music. <laughs> and uh, it's just such a, such a wonderful time. We're excited about that. I want to thank those that were doing decorating yesterday here for the Little White Church and for this building. Um, you see, these guys really scared me. That's Brian and Ray uh, on the Little White Church putting up the, um, putting up the wreath. And I don't know about you, but that ladder on the roof just doesn't look too stable to me. I, I'm not sure what we'll do next year, but now that I know what it looks like, I don't know. Um, when this building, when the lights are down and it's dark outside, these trees are amazing. Uh, and then Pam Vance did this beautiful um, angel for us that is in the, we took the tree down, the tree that we had in the middle of that little area over there needed to come down. And so we have a beautiful angel to, uh, to grace that this morning. My thanks to all of you who helped yesterday to do that. And then just uh, another couple of requests uh, for prayer today. Um, we mentioned Gail McDonald last week who had uh, suffered um, a, uh, a cardiac arrest and a pulmonary arrest, and Gail is um, now at a place where it looks like the family is going to be withdrawing the life support that she has, and so I encourage you to be with, um, with Craig uh, and with Jamie. Um, Gail uh, was a regular uh, at our Club Grub, uh, one of the regular Sundays, and we are certainly going to miss her. And uh, Craig and Jamie, if you're watching this morning, uh, may the Lord be with you. I know the family here will be praying for you. And then also, um, we know that Dan and uh, Kim Eagle are watching from San Diego, and uh, Dan's brother, Jim, passed away unexpectedly at the the young age of 72, which gets younger all the time in my book. And uh, so, um, Lord, may, may the Lord be with um, you and your family at this time, uh, Dan uh, and, uh, and Kim. And speaking of transitions, um, I don't know um, if how many patients you have in here, uh, Herb, but Herb Clark has been an orthopedic surgeon, and I know that many of you know Herb personally, um, and, uh, and Herb is going to be retiring in a month, and we're going to miss you. My knees are going to miss you. Um, Herb has done both of my knees. Um, I've gotten a shot in my elbow. Um, the brain transplant. I'd, uh, <laughs> you you know some of us all too intimately, I guess. Um, but I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I know that Herb has a lot of, uh, let's call you friends uh, in the congregation. So Herb, uh, blessings, and uh, we will miss you in, uh, in that role. Okay, now um, all of what has gone on before doesn't take away from my sermon time, Okay. We all agreed? Okay, so there's no Seahawks game to get to today. Uh, any World Cup fans out there? Yeah? Dennis and Tracy, what are you doing here at church? I, oh, it was? Okay. Um, I better not ask the score. No? Okay. <laughs> I have... I have got, so just so you know, I've got, I, I think I've recorded it properly on my TV to follow uh, England, USA, and Canada. Are you following any others, um, Dennis? Oh, you are? Oh, that's right, you are. That's right, you are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, um, I hope you enjoy. This is a, for those of us that like soccer, this is a pretty exciting season. That has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. 
Okay, we have been doing a series called Life Together that deals with the, um, the experiences that we have in terms of the values of North Sound Church that we developed many years ago, but are reiterating as we move into the future. And I realize we're actually short a few Sundays because we're, uh, we're moving into Advent next week, and so we're, um, we're going to miss a few, but those values, I think, have been well integrated into who we are, and we've talked about them before. So um, today, we're going to conclude the series by talking about the value of prayer. And uh, this is what we said relative to the value. We build ministry on a commitment to prayer. Uh, and then there are a number of, uh, of uh, scripture verses associated with that. And we say, recognizing our dependence upon God, we seek to be a people who strive to do ministry with a foundation of prayer. We follow the example of our Lord who lived a life of communion with the Father. So last week, uh, I mentioned that I use the Book of Common Prayer as part of my devotion. Uh, it's a regular part of, of how I take time with the Lord, and it's an, ancient, it's an ancient book, an ancient process going back to Thomas Cranmer like 500 years ago. But I also use a prayer um, tool called Lectio 365. Pastor Nancy uh, kind of sent me in that direction, and Lectio 365 is another wonderful resource, and both of them... Uh, pause from their regular schedule of commenting on a particular scripture verse on special days to honor what some would call saints. Now, technically, scripturally, we're all saints, right? Uh, we are all holy ones. We have all come into relationship with Christ. But there are some special saints, those um, from whom we can learn a great deal. And so in both the Book of Common Prayer and uh, in the Lectio 365, they pause to honor some of these people upon whose lives we find inspiration and guidance for our own. And this morning, uh, I want to talk about an individual that passed away this week that I think is one of those kind of people. Mike Gerson passed away at the age of 58, and his friend Peter Weiner shared um, his perspective of his friend Mike in an article this week. And Mike was one who understood prayer, our topic this morning, and this is sort of weird, I know, to share at the beginning of a sermon a eulogy, which is essentially what it is, for someone that most of us in the room don't know. Some of you may have heard his name, but I suspect that most of you would not know him personally. But as we talk about prayer this morning, I, I want you to see how this worked out in the life of one of God's family, one of God's sons by the name of Mike Gerson. And uh, this will take a moment, and again, it's very much like a eulogy, uh, but I want you to hear about the work of God in the life of this person who tragically passed away at the young age of 58. In the mid-1990s, Peter says, I was the policy director of Empower America, a think tank whose co-directors were Jack Kemp, William Bennett, and Gene Kirkpatrick. A colleague told me there was a person writing speeches for Jack he thought I might want to meet, and he introduced me to Michael Gerson. Mike and I met immediately. Ours was an acquaintance that quickly grew into a friendship that soon became one of the most cherished relationships of my life. He said, Mike Gerson died yesterday morning of cancer. He was 58 years old. 
Mike was one of the most gifted writers of his generation, a presidential speechwriter for George W. Bush, who became a twice-weekly columnist for the Washington Post. He wrote on politics and faith, movies and books, the Queen of England, his beloved dogs, his first bout with cancer, and dropping his son off at college. Mike loved words, and he wrote like an angel. It was a way to express the longings and loves of his life. The best speeches Mike worked on with George W. Bush were his efforts to call forth our better selves to right wrongs and to dispense comfort and to strive for justice. Here are words from President Bush's speech at the National Cathedral three days after the attacks of 9-11. He said, we learn in tragedy that his, that is God's, purposes are not always our own. Yet the prayers of private suffering, whether in our own homes or in this great cathedral, are known and heard and understood. There are prayers that help us last through the day or endure the night. There are prayers of friends and strangers that give us strength for the journey. And there are prayers that yield our will to a will greater than our own. This world he created is of moral design. Grief and tragedy and hatred are only for a time. Goodness, remembrance, and love have no end. And the Lord of life holds all who die and all who mourn. Peter goes on to say, Mike was an instrument of mercy, a key figure in the Bush administration's 2003 effort to provide AIDS treatment and prevention to Africans on a massive scale. President Bush asked people in the room, his advisors, for their opinion on whether they should move forward with this initiative. And he pointed to Mike for the last comment. And this is what Mike said. He said, if... If we can do this and we don't, it will be a source of shame. Mark Dibel, a brilliant NIH researcher who crafted the plan, says that nearly 20 years later, PEPFAR, which is this AIDS initiative in Africa, has saved 20 million lives, prevented millions of new infections, and changed the course of the the epidemic. Peter goes on to say, over the course of our friendship, I came to understand how essential faith was to Mike. He attended Wheaton College, the flagship evangelical school in America. He had been accepted at Fuller Theological Seminary for graduate studies, but Chuck Colson, then president of Prison Fellowship, hired Mike right out of college to write for him. That brought Mike to Washington, D.C. and changed the trajectory of his life, but not the outworking of his faith. He believed that politics at its best could advance justice. Mike's views reflected what he called a Christian anthropology, a belief in the inherent rights and dignity of every human life. It led him to solidarity with the weak and the suffering, the dispossessed, those living in the shadows of life. His faith was capacious and generous. It created in him a deep commitment to justice and the common good. Mike was appalled at those who disfigured Jesus and used their faith for the purposes of dehumanization. It is one of the reasons why he was so thankful to publish an extraordinary essay in the Post before his death, speaking of Christians whose view of politics is closer to Game of Thrones than to the Beatitudes. Mike told me how moved he was by the comments and emails from ex-believers saying the article helped them rediscover why they once believed. When I asked him what he found most encouraging about the response, he told me, all of the people who find the Jesus of the Gospels so appealing. 
Very few people knew the full scope of the health challenges Mike faced. He suffered a heart attack in 2004 when he was 40, kidney cancer in 2013, debilitating leg pain, probably the result of surgical nerve damage. The kidney cancer spread to his lungs, then Parkinson's disease, and metastatic adrenal cancer, and then finally metastatic bone cancer in multiple locations, intensely painful. At one point, he told me he was on 20 different medications. Mike and I joked that of all the figures in the Bible, he could have modeled himself after he chose Job. Yet through it all, and this is simply remarkable, I never saw any self-pity. Mike referred to himself as an instinctual Calvinist, a person not prone to ask, why me? He bore up under the hardship and pain with astonishing grace and dignity. In 2019, at a sermon in the National Cathedral, he revealed that he had been hospitalized for depression, a condition he had struggled with since his 20s. He was raw, honest, and vulnerable in describing its effects. He said that at times he had reached the breaking point but didn't break. Fortunate to have the right medicine and the right medical care and the right friends, he said, who run into the burning building of your life to rescue you. Over time, Mike said, you begin to see hints and glimmers of a larger world outside the prison of your sadness. The conscious mind takes hold of some shred of beauty or love and then more shreds until you begin to think maybe, just maybe, there is something better on the far side of despair. I heard from other friends who also suffer from depression how meaningful they found Mike's words to be. In the last months of his life, Mike told me that the pain was sometimes so distracting he couldn't write but then we would move to other topics. I have pages of notes from my final conversations with him as we spoke mostly about faith and theology. He gave me a book and recommended others. In the last weeks of Mike's life, his wife Dawn and sons Bucky and Nick were faithfully by his side. His two brothers were able to spend time with him. So were close friends, all of whom were able to express their appreciation and love for Mike. The common theme from Mike was gratitude. He spoke about how grateful he was for the life he was able to lead and for the people who loved him and were able to travel his journey with him. He was in pain, but he was at peace. Peter goes on to say, I was planning on seeing him one Sunday morning in late September, but he had to cancel. He wrote me afterwards simply saying, sorry about today, slept most of the morning a little down, want to be an example to my sons, but hard to be in extreme pain, which eventually comes with bone cancer. He concludes, Mike Gerson was a beautiful writer with an even more beautiful soul. He lived a wonderful and consequential life. You've been a voice for Jesus, one friend Jack Oliver wrote to Mike as he neared the end. Your homecoming will be amazing. He hadn't just been an example for his sons. He was an example for all of us. Mike is now with the Lord he loved and serves so well, but oh, how I miss my friend, says Peter. Friends, I hope that as sad as some aspects of it may be that you're encouraged at the life of Mike Gerson, a man of prayer, as we look into our own lives and our relationship with prayer as the family of God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 2, 
talking about the nature of the life of the early church. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The first Christians devoted themselves to prayer. We see prayer as a vital foundation for who we are as individuals and who we are as the family of God. It was the very building block of the very first congregation. And I can assure you that for North Sound Church, it was a building block for us as a new congregation as well. When you hear sermons about prayer, sometimes they encourage you to develop deep faith, to have the faith that's needed to accomplish a positive answer to the prayer that you need. And other sermons on prayer are how-to sermons. They're, they're sermons on how, how do we actually pray, what do we do, and how do we say what we say and go through the whole process. But this morning, I want to take a little different direction as we talk about prayer. Because the philosophical question about the meaning of prayer becomes very practical when I and you feel like our prayers are not being answered. Mike Gerson's life is a parable of prayer. Depression, heart attack, kidney cancer, adrenal cancer, bone cancer, Parkinson's, and at one point, 20 different medications, and yet he knew something about prayer. We aren't the first ones to wonder about prayer. The disciples, the very disciples of Jesus who walked with him had the same question. In his introduction to a parable told by Jesus, he says this, uh, Luke says this, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. The disciples were wondering about giving up on prayer. If Jesus had to talk to his disciples about the question, perhaps it's an important one for us to talk about as well. And so this morning, as we talk about prayer, we're going to take time for honesty around this subject. We claim God answers our prayers, but we don't do it in a name it and claim it way. We don't do it in a way that says if we have enough faith, boom, whatever we want is going to happen, as some do. But how can we understand prayer so that it makes sense? Our answers sometimes being no or maybe or uncertain. So the question that I want to talk about for the rest of our time together is, what is prayer about? What's prayer about? So the first thing is, it's about another world. If we can reduce everything in our world to what we can see and touch and smell and hear, we have reduced it, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, with a reductionism that simply believes that what we are is constituted by each part, that if and that's the case, then there's really no point in praying. The world is simply material. Prayer assumes another world, or perhaps more importantly, prayer assumes another dimension to our world. We live in a space which is three-dimensional. We have width and depth and height or breadth, but the scriptures assume another dimension, and that is the spiritual dimension. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to to demolish strongholds. 
In Ephesians 6.12, he writes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This new dimension is where, as believers, we need to focus our attention. He says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is, seen is, what is unseen is eternal. When I was in my 20s, I uh, was fascinated with the writings uh, of a man by the name of Morton Kelsey. And Morton Kelsey talked about this other dimension. He talked about this fourth dimension. And one of the things that Morton Kelsey did was he went to the New Testament and he cut out all of the verses of the 7,000 verses in the New Testament. He cut out all the verses that have to do with this other dimension, this spiritual dimension, this fourth dimension, and found that one-third of the New Testament was taken away when we tried to reduce it to uh, a, a world that was simply a materialistic kind of world. Earlier generations did not have the same problem that we do in this regard. We've talked often of the Enlightenment and how in the Enlightenment um, we began to think differently and it has led, in fact, to the secular world, the secular mindset, the secular culture that we have in the 21st century where we don't make room for God, where we don't make room for that dimension. For the people prior to that time, there was no problem. They understood the spiritual reality. They lived it. Now, there are many wonderful things that have come out of the Enlightenment, but one of the unfortunate things is this reductionism that makes us simply live in a materialistic world where we're simply the sum of the parts that have put us together. Somehow, the visible world and the invisible world are inextricably linked. I don't know how we account for an Adolf Hitler in a materialistic world that doesn't account for great evil in heavenly places that influences our world. It's amazing to understand that our actions here and now in this world today on November 20th, 2022, our actions in this world affect that other world. They affect that fourth dimension. Jesus sent out 70 disciples on a mission. And when they returned from that trip, from that mission trip, Jesus said in Luke 10 that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What we do now affects what happens in eternity. In order for us to effectively engage in prayer, we need to understand that there is this fourth dimension. Our prayer then becomes the prayer of Jesus. Your will that is done in heaven, which we prayed this morning, may your will which is done in heaven, in the fourth dimension, in the spiritual world, be done in our lives and in our world. That's the nature of our prayer. The second thing I want to suggest about prayer is that it's about a relationship. Do you remember the commandment in Matthew 23? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Prayer, first of all, before anything else, is about relationship with God. Jesus assumed his disciples would be prayers. When he gave them the Lord's prayer, he didn't say, if you pray, say these things. He said, when you pray, this is how you should pray. 
He illustrated himself with the rich relationship he had with the Father where early in the morning he would go to pray with the Father. He would find places of solitude to go and pray and develop his relationship with the Father. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin was a French priest who was also an anthropologist. And he said these profound words, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. Think about that. Think about that. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings whose life on earth is relatively short in the context of eternity. But that's okay because we're spiritual beings who for this time are having a human experience. The third thing and the final thing I want to leave with you today is that prayer is about trust and obedience. One of the great challenges that we all have with prayer is when our prayers seem not to be answered. We've heard biblical encouragement to ask, to seek, and knock. We believe in healing and deliverance, but sometimes nothing seems to happen. We can identify with the honest man who sought healing for his son when he said to the Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. In the movie Shadowlands, C.S. Lewis is struggling with the cancer and the illness of his beloved wife, Joy Davidman. And there's a point in the movie where she's in the hospital, but she takes a turn for the better. And Lewis has a conversation with his priest, whose name is Harry. And Harry says to Lewis, I know how hard you've been praying, and now God is answering your prayers. And C.S. Lewis responded, that's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Friends, prayer is not magic. Prayer is not saying hocus pocus and pretending everything is fine. When confronted with horrendous suffering, it seems to defy our understanding of a good God and a powerful God. And in those moments, we're simply brought to a place of trust. Trust says, I've done what I've asked God to do, and I've maintained a relationship with him, and I've prayed for this need, and it has gone unanswered nonetheless, and in some way, that I don't understand his purposes will be worked out in this circumstance. In Daniel chapter 10, there's an unusual story of a visit by an angel in answer to prayer. The angel speaking says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, it's interesting. What we talked about earlier is how what happens in the physical realm today, has heavenly implications in that fourth dimension, in that other place. But 
what this passage tells us is that what happens there also has implications on what happens here. And it seems that in some way the angel coming to respond was affected by evil that was going on in the heavenlies in that fourth dimension that delayed him coming to Daniel's aid. Trust says we don't know all the answers, but the affirmation of my relationship with God allows me to trust that somehow his purposes will be worked out in these circumstances. There are other times when all we can do is obey. Our faith may not be strong, but we, we make the choice to obey because it's so much better than the alternative. And we know that eventually, eventually, God's purposes will be worked out and in the midst of our challenges, he'll bring comfort and strength. On the campus of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, there is a, uh, when Barb and I were there, there was a building called Judson Hall and Judson Hall was a, a student housing complex. And it was named after Adoniram Judson. Some of you may know the story of Judson He was one of the first missionaries to Burma. He endured great hardship during that time. When war was declared between Burma and England, although he was American, the Burmese thought of him as being English. He had to walk eight miles to the prison in his bare feet. And every night they would string him up from the legs that were already shackled with a bamboo pole so that the blood rushed to his head. He couldn't sleep. He had headaches. He had terrible cramps in his shoulders. And the bugs from the tropics had at him. It turned out that as he was released from jail, very shortly thereafter, his wife died from smallpox and fever followed shortly thereafter by their baby daughter. Judson almost had what today we would call a nervous breakdown. He would kneel by his wife's graveside for hours in rain or shine. He dug a grave for himself beside the shelter in the jungle in which he worked on a translation of the Bible into the Burmese language. Only a handful of Burmese ever showed any interest in the Christian faith, yet he spent 34 years there. The official dictionary of Myanmar was written by Adoniram Judson. And now, today, friends, more than one million Burmese Christians look to Adoniram Judson as their spiritual father. Burma is now called Myanmar, and our church plant, Holy Trinity Edmonds, has a sister church relationship with an Anglican church in Myanmar even now this day. Illness, imprisonment, death, discouragement, depression, yet God used his life for a dramatic impact on the kingdom. And so, friends, we're to be a people of prayer. To do so, we need to believe in the fourth dimension, the other world, the world that is actually the long-term reality. We need to develop a relationship with the Lord, and we need to trust and obey. Remember the words of that wonderful hymn? If you do, say it with me. Trust and obey, 
for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Paul gave us a great piece of instruction for prayer when he said this to the church in Philippi. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your presence. We thank you, Lord, for new life in our fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us with new life in the kingdom as well. And I ask, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that you would help us to go deeper, to persevere in prayer, recognizing, Lord, the reality of that fourth spiritual dimension, recognizing, Lord, that it's about a relationship with you and recognizing, Lord, that sometimes we're called upon to simply trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.